0: Welcome to the Bradleyville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We are located at 25861 State Highway 76 in Bradleyville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. with worship to follow at 10.30 a.m. Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. Now enjoy our lesson. Good Good morning. It is good to see you all here this morning. Um, we're going to continue today thinking about the church, becoming Christ's church. You know, we, we have said this since we came together as a church family here at Bradleyville. We have we've, we've made this statement, we want to be the first century church in the 21st century. Well, you know, you can put lip service to that, right? You can, you can say that, but are we really striving to become the church that Jesus promised in Matthew 16 and that he fulfilled in Acts chapter 2? And these lessons are helping us go back to that idea of what that church was and can we be that today. Not can we reform a a religious group and and make it more like, but can we restore what Jesus intended whenever he constructed the church in Acts chapter 2. Last week we, we asked the question, shouldn't church be more? I'll just tell you right up front this has been a good day for me. I don't ask that question on days like this. I, I, I want to I pause for just a second. I want to encourage you just to look around at each other. This might be a little awkward for you, but I want you to look at each other, and I want you to appreciate everyone who's here and the, and the blessing that you are bringing to those other smiling faces that are looking at you because that's part of what we're going to be talking about today. What is the purpose of the church? What did Jesus have in mind when he built the church? Shouldn't the church be more than what mankind has made it? Last week we asked the question, shouldn't the church be more? And sometimes we treat the church like a building, All right, I left my Bible at the church. Sometimes we treat it like an event. I've got church tomorrow. And a lot of ways we treat the church like a business. We have producers and consumers. We have people who are who are Broadcasting out the, the or producing the church service, and we have people who are attending and consuming. Along those lines, then we have marketing and programs and classes, training sessions. Um, let me just let me be clear about this last week. I I didn't present that in a way that, that those things are necessarily sinful, but what they are they can be a model that doesn't represent what Jesus had in mind when he built the church. And in particular, if you look at the religious world as a whole, most religious organizations, most individual churches, operate like a business. And there's a reason why the business is dying. It's because we are working on a model that is not consistent with what God had intended for the church to be. And so we went back and looked at Acts chapter 2, and we looked at that model that Jesus built in Jerusalem on Pentecost, and we saw that it looked more like a what? A more like a family, didn't it, than a business. Those people were close, they were tight-knit, they were steadfast, they were committed to each other. They were hanging out together. They were sharing things in common. They were taking care of each other. They were looking out for each other. In essence, what they were doing was they were modeling themselves after Jesus. You have a bunch of little Jesus look there that were all stuck together with glue, with a bond that's stronger than anything that a business model can represent, can create. And then we'll ask the question, is that what Jesus had in mind when he built the church? Well, we know that's what Jesus was working towards. And, and, and today we're going to answer that question by looking at another situation. Can you think of any situations where, where if we were a business-oriented church, we would have just been super excited if we would have been there with Jesus when this happened. If you you didn't leave your Bibles open to John chapter 6, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles up to John 6, and we're going to look at the situation, which would be a dream situation for a business church. And it starts off by this. John chapter 6, verse 1. After these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee which is the Sea of Tiberias. then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. Now later on around verse 10 they're going to kind of define how big a multitude we're talking about here. They're going to say there was 5,000 men. They don't even count the women and children. So I want you to picture if if, if for a business church would 5,000 men plus women and children be a good starting point? Would that be something that you would like to see? You imagine if we were to have that happen here in Bradleyville today. What would we do with those people? We're going to have to start looking for somebody who's got some property, right, to set them down. Because we can't house them in this building. We can't house them in all the buildings in Bradleyville. Right? So this is a, this is a big deal for the, the church, you might say. they got 5,000 men plus women and children. Look at verse, uh, verse 4. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. So now I want you to picture in your mind, what happens around Christmas time? What happens around Easter? What happens around those, those, those times when, when the world in general tends to be more religious, right? This is one of the big three for the Jews. You had the Passover, you had Pentecost, and you had the Feast of Tabernacles, and those were the three big feasts when all the men in particular were to gather to Jerusalem. So this is one of the big three. You've got a large crowd, and it's around a time when people's minds might be thinking more about religion. You want to take advantage of that, don't we? We want to find a way, you might say, to strike while the iron's hot, right? You've got a big group of people here. They're gathered together, they've got a kind of a mindset. And they're hungry. Now, if you've got people that are hungry, what does that automatically create? It creates an opportunity, right? Notice what happens here. Um, Jesus sees the multitude, verse 5. He says, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And of course, now John tells us that he's doing this to test his apostles. And they say, How, do you, how are you going to buy enough bread for all these people? Jesus says, Okay, what do we got? we've got five loaves and two fishes. Okay, make everybody sit down on the ground. And he takes those five loaves and two fishes. He offers a blessing over them. He breaks them. He begins to pass them out. And I don't know how this happens. I don't, I don't quite understand the mechanics of this miracle, except that it happened. But as these guys are reaching into the basket and pulling out bread, there's just more bread there, right? Every time they reach in, there's, there's, there's enough bread, and there's enough bread. Now, here's this is a completely different sermon on so. Why did they have to take up extra baskets of Why do they take baskets of the leftovers? Here's the answer because God always blesses beyond what we can comprehend. He he gives us more than what we even need. And He's not wasteful because Jesus gathers us all up. But I want you to notice here that the crowd was hungry and Jesus fed them. He fed them with five loaves and two fishes. And in the minds of the people then, they're starting to build an expectation of Jesus. They're starting to see Jesus from a certain perspective. Listen to what they say in verse 14. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. They're looking for the prophet. They're looking for the Messiah. They're looking for the Christ to come. And they're going to do something with Jesus. Look at verse 15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king. Now pause right there. Put a, put a pause right there. If we were a business church and we had this happen to us, what would we do? Here's what here's what we would say, right? The first thing we're gonna say is our market our marketing's working, right? Let's get more signs, let's get more wonders, let's get more miracles, let's get more things to bring even more people in. <clears throat> because the things we're doing are working. The meal program's working, alright? we got people that are coming in because of the food. Now let's develop some other programs. You know what we need? We need a, we need a, a, a youth group. And we need a, a young adults group. And we need a young professionals group. And we need a, a, a an adult, a, adult parents group. We need a married group. And we need a, we need a, a and, and let, me be, let me just be very clear again here. I'm not, I'm not condemning those things, but that's the way the mindset of, of a business church works. We need to have groups to cater to the individual, right? We need to look at all the demographics of this multitude, and let's find out a way to cater to each one of them individually. Because we may have some people out there that don't like barley loaves, so let's start getting some wheat bread in here too, right? Let's start getting, you know, some of us may like, maybe somebody has a fish allergy, so we got to make sure that we get some other food in here to cater to them. we got to have programs to minister to these people so that they aren't left wanting and they don't go somewhere else. I like this next one the preacher's working. Let's pay more and let's give him more authority, right? These people wanted to make Jesus king. They wanted to make him the ruler. And you think about that. That would be a temptation that we that we if we we're a business-minded church might might give over to is if this is working, let's keep it rolling. Because we got 5,000, let's roll 5,000 into 10,000. Let's roll ten thousand into twenty thousand. Let's see if we can become a mega church and have fifty thousand people who are dependent on us to feed them spiritually and also to feed them physically, to make their, to meet all their needs. So let's pause right there. Jesus has this opportunity at his fingertips. What he will do with the opportunity is a lesson to us in how we as a church would deal with similar situations. Right. If we are striving to be like Jesus, we're going to look at what Jesus did, and we're going to learn from it, and we're going to imitate. If, if we want to be Jesus' lookalikes, we need to imitate what Jesus did. So notice what he does. Look at verse 15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain to be by himself first thing jesus does is he withdraws from that situation he goes up onto the mountain matthew chapter 14 verse 23 says he goes up there to pray what's he doing he is connecting with the father to get clarity on this situation even jesus had to get clarity whenever there are times that he might be confused about what his mission is if he was fixated on numbers he's got it if he was fixated on programs, he's got him. If he was fixated on marketing, he's got it. If he wanted to be the most powerful preacher, if he wanted to have the most authority, he's got the opportunity, right? But he has to go clear his mind to make sure that he is focused on what God's will is for his people. Notice what else he does. He's going to remove his disciples from this situation. Now, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus not coming to them. Now, you go to Matthew, and Matthew explains this in, in a little bit different picture. He says Jesus took his disciples, and he put them on a ship, and he sent them away. What's he doing? He's doing the same thing for his disciples that he did for himself. He's trying to make sure that they don't get overcome by the temptation of... Fame, fortune, the 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 hysteria of the situation. When you got five thousand, that's that's a that's a that has the opportunity to, to work on people, right? To build up their pride. Hey, we were able. Look what we were able to do. And so he he extracts them from that situation. Now, right in the middle of this is a very interesting situation because this is where Jesus is going to walk on the water. He's going to demonstrate to his apostles that he has authority over the he has he has the authority over not just. Not just the wind the waves, but he can walk on the water and he can calm the storms. And they go on to the other side. So they've moved themselves out of the, out of the situation. But they haven't completely cut off themselves from the multitude. Listen to what happens in verse 22. Now on the following day when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except the one which his disciples had entered. And that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. Verse 23 is just kind of an interjection there about other boats come from Tiberias. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got in boats and came to Capernaum seeking him. Again, go back to the business mindset. You've got these people chasing you now, all right? They want what you've got. And now I want you to pay attention to what Jesus does. Jesus is going to begin to challenge them. He's going to challenge their intentions. He's going to challenge their faith. He's going to challenge their commitment to him. And we'll just cut to the chase right here. I'll go ahead and give you the answer why. Because he's after disciples, not consumers. You get that? He's after people who would be willing to get out of a fishing boat that their dad's in and follow him. And I'm kind of undercutting some of our lesson for next week. But that's what Jesus is about. He wants a church that is committed to him, thick and thin. That's committed to each other till death do us part. That are willing to put up with each other and suffer with each other and celebrate with each other. And to rebuke each other and to be a family. And to not be producers and consumers. To not not be based around marketing and programs. You know what? All that stuff will naturally flow out... Jesus didn't have a meal program, but he fed people, right? Jesus didn't have a marking program, but but he, he preached the gospel to people. All the things that we're talking about that are associated with business will naturally come when we attract people to a family and then when we serve each other, when we understand that church is not about me. It's about Jesus and it's about you. Whenever I fix my brain on that, then, then I'm going to start flipping some switches and things are going to be different. Jesus is going to challenge these people. First thing he's going to do is challenge their intentions. Verse 26. Oh, verse 25. When they found him on the other side, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. He's basically saying, you know, you didn't believe me because of the miracles that I did. You, you're, really, you're being led by your gut. And sometimes that's the way people treat religion. Whichever, whichever religious group, whichever religious body, whichever church will make them feel the best about themselves, will feed their gut, they're going to stay there until what? Until they quit feeding them. Until they get uncomfortable until they get uncomfortable Until a struggle or a strife comes up, until some tension comes up with a brother or sister. And what what tends to happen? Right, we're gone. Why? Because we're not disciples, because we're not family, because we're consumers. Jesus is challenging them because all they want is the bread. He said, You don't you don't follow me because of who I am. You're following me because of what I do for you. You don't want to be my disciple, you want to be my consumer. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. He's not talking about wonder bread here. He's talking about the bread of life that Jesus would give to them that would sustain them into eternal life. First thing he does is he challenges their intentions. And then he challenges even their belief in him. Listen to what he says next. They said, what shall we do, verse 28, that we may work the works of God? That sounds encouraging, right? We want to serve in the church. We want to be participatory in it. We want to be active. What can we do? Give us a a job. We'll paint. We'll we'll clean. We'll do whatever. Jesus says, here's the work of God. Excuse me. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? How dumb is that? What has he always done? What has he already done for them? I don't know if they weren't paying attention when these little five loaves and two fishes come out. But they all ate. Right? <clears throat> what does that tell you about these people? You always need more. You need a bigger program. You 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 you've got us in a, in this group, but we need to, we need more. We need you to give us more. I'm not getting anything out of the sermon. I'm not getting anything out of the worship. I need more. Show me a bigger program. Show me a show me something bigger. Jesus <clears throat> is going to question that. He says uh They say, our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, most assuredly, that would be amen, amen, he's saying to them there. Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Lord, let us give us this bread always. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger And he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said said to you that you have seen me and you do not believe. If Jesus would have tried to build the church around this group of people, I guarantee you it would have failed. Because these people were only there for what they could get out of Jesus. They were there for what, what can you do for me lately. And Jesus knew that. And so he is challenging them. He's challenged their intentions. He's challenged their faith. You don't believe in me. You just you you know what I can do for you, but you don't believe that I am the Son of God, and you're not willing to change your life to conform to the image of me. And here's here's really the 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 this is where you might say that the the rubber meets the road. This is the lesson that this is the scripture reading that, that Jacob read for us. And I'll just tell you, this can be challenging for Christians today who have a Physical mindset, a a worldly mindset, and not a spiritual mindset. Listen to what Jesus says. Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. If you were to read that to a person out in the world, what would they say? They'll say exactly what these people said. Look at verse 52. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're thinking on a worldly, carnal, fleshly mindset, and Jesus isn't operating right up here at the spiritual mindset. He's trying to draw them up, and and for the most part, he knows they're not going to make that leap. They're not going to be able to get there. He puts this challenging lesson in front of them, and and we're not going to take the time to dissect that because we are running out of time, but I want you you to, to hear the result of this. Let's go on down. Below what Jacob read for us. Verse 60. Therefore many of his disciples when they heard this said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself the disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and their life. What, was, what would happen when Jesus goes back to heaven? Where's their meal ticket now, right? Where's the signs and the wonders that they want now? If you have to be continually fed to be a disciple of Jesus, Jesus says, someday it's going to fail. Let's be real with you. I'm going back to heaven. It's not this bread. It's not this physical ministry here that's that's going to give you life. It's the spirit that gives life. And he goes on, verse 66, from that time... Many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. If we were a business church, you would say, You failed Jesus. Jesus, you failed. You had 5,000 men plus women and children. And you had opportunity to, to establish programs for him. You could have had marketing, you could have drawn in more, and you failed. You know what? When you when you jump in time to the day of Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection, you know how many people are in that upper room? It's not five thousand. This is not even five hundred you've got the 11 until they add Matthias and another 110 people 120 or about 120 are in that upper room. That's the picture of the nucleus of the church. It's not 5,000 men and women who are wanting to be fed. It's not 5,000 men and women who are wanting Jesus to continually do signs and miracles to minister to them. These are 120 people who are committed to Jesus and each other. What did Jesus have in mind when he built the church? He had something better in mind. He had, he had in mind a family who would serve one another. John chapter 13, verses 14 through 17. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do then, this is a man who the multitude wanted to make king. And they didn't even, didn't even fully realize this, but he was bigger than the king. He was God. And he's down washing people's feet. They give you an idea of what Jesus wants in the church. He wants servants who will serve each other. In essence, what he wants is a royal priesthood. You know what a priesthood is? A priesthood is not a group of people who are better than everybody else. A priesthood is a group of people who serve others and they minister to each other and they each other and they encourage each other and they intercede with each other on behalf of each other. They pray for each other. They encourage each other. That's what the priesthood was supposed to be even in the Old Testament. And that's what God's called us to be. First Peter chapter 1 chapter 2 verse 9 says that we are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are God's special people, he would go on to say. Jesus also won a family who loved one another. You go to the end of of John chapter 13, and Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Listen to verse 35. By this all will know that you are my disciples. Because you come to me for bread. Because you look to me for signs. Because you follow me because of what I do for you. Jesus says, no. By this, all the world will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. Because you have love for one another. That's what Jesus had in mind whenever he was building a church. He wanted a family (laughs) who would sacrifice for each other. Who would give up themselves for each other. Who would go the extra mile for each other. Wait a second. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 16 speaks about that body. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying itself of well, love. You know what I had you guys look around at each other a little while ago? Because you're in that verse. And you need to recognize that each everybody else is in that verse together. We're all pulling together because we love each other, we're growing, we're encouraging every joint, every ligament, every muscle has a part to play in the growth of the body. You have a part to play in the growth of the body in love. Jesus wanted a church or wanted a family that loved and loves and obeys him. Notice what he says in John chapter 14 verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. He goes on in verse 22, 23, says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. What he wants, in essence, if you picture this in the way a family would interact, he wants a bride who will love him and honor him and respect him and submit to him. You go to Ephesians chapter 5, and you read the commands that Paul gives to wives. Wives, love your husbands. Submit to your husbands, excuse me. As to the Lord. And he gives the picture there. He pictures the wife as being the church in relationship to Christ. He wants us to be people who will submit to him and be like him. He wants a family who bears fruit for the Father. And so John chapter 15 is that, is that I'm the vine, you are the branches passage. But when you get down to the end of that passage, he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. You You go back to the idea of being producers and consumers. You know who are not producing? The consumers. And if we have a church that's full of consumers, I can tell you what's not going to be a product of that church. Produce, fruit, to glorify the Father. We have a responsibility, church. To be those who are working to, on behalf of God, to bear fruit for him. And that's how we show ourselves to be disciples of Jesus. And he goes back at the beginning of the chapter and says, I am the vine, true vine, and my father's vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. That teaches us that there will be pruning in our lives. There's going to be things that are going to prune away the inconsistencies, the distractions, so that we can bear fruit. But we do that in the concept of the family of God. And finally, we see a family that's united in purpose. In his prayer for his disciples, Jesus would say in John chapter 17, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they all may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. You know what? We read that passage. And a lot of times we give lip service to it, right? Well, yeah, we all get, we can get along. We get together. We do at least twice a week, right? What does unity look like? If you think about unity as being pictured by the God the Father and God the Son, they are unified in nature right they're unified in, in, their, in their purpose they're unified in their, in their interactions with each other and that's the picture that Jesus painted for the church he wanted his church to be one as I am one with the Father he says that gets a little bit deeper that gets a little more personal doesn't it than maybe what we think unity ought, ought to look like in the church that means that we sometimes will be in each other's business a little bit not to tear each other down, but to build each other up, to encourage each other, to strengthen each other, to be together, to be unified in, in nature. And you think about what that looks like then. That's a picture of a house, right? A house all working together, unified in its purpose. Not every not every member, not every piece of a house does the same thing, but they're all doing it for the same reason, right? They're all doing it so the house will stand up. And we are a house. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the house of hold of God in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. When we are the church that Jesus bought with His blood, we're going to be a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. Isn't that a lovely picture? You think about, we see with our physical eyes the people who are here, but you know who we can't see physically but we can know from the Scriptures are here amongst us when we are gathered together as the body of Christ? We're in communion with Godhead. And that's not blasphemy to say that. The Bible says that. And we need to learn to appreciate that. And to cherish it. And to encourage others in it. And help each other to know that what Jesus had in mind. In summary, if Jesus, was, Jesus built a church <clears throat> where individuals surrendered themselves to him and to each other. The first thing that I need to understand about the church that Jesus bought with his blood is it's not about me. It's not about the individual. If that was the case, Jesus could have built a mega church right there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee with 5,000 men plus women and children. But it's not about me. It's about us. It's about Jesus and how we interact with him. If Jesus... With building a church, there would be no producers, no consumers, no artificial marketing and programs. Love and good works would flow from us naturally because we strive to be like him. That's what Jesus intended when he built the church. You know how we know that? Because we can see how the story ends. You remember when all those disciples fled. You remember what Jesus did next John chapter 6? He turns to the 12 and he says, Are you going to leave me too? you can see there's probably a little bit of discouragement even though the fact that jesus knew that was not going to be the nucleus for the church you've still got to be a little discouraged as a human to see all those people go right what a great opportunity thousand men plus women and children and they just walk away and even some of his who are called disciples that was the multitude even some of his disciples left him he turns to the 12 and he says do you also want to go away and notice what they say this is where the church is found. This is where the disciples of Christ are identified. They say, Peter in particular says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Right? Who's going to offer us a better deal than this? We're sleeping out on the ground. We're eating barley loaves and fishes. We're cold and we're tired and we're, 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 we're dejected. We just saw 5,000 men and women, plus men and women, or plus women and children leave us. But who's going to offer us a better deal? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And also we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what Jesus is looking for in the church. He wants a committed church. He wants people who are committed to him. And when the going gets tough, they get going. Not away from the church, but they get to work. He wants people who whenever whenever there's challenges in the church, don't run because they're uncomfortable, but they buckle down and they edify each other and they encourage each other, they strengthen each other. He wants a church who will submit to him and to love him and demonstrate that love by obeying his commands. He wants a church that's united in their love for each other, in their love for God, and in their love for the lost. And you know what'll happen? When that happens, that's when church is going to be more. We won't, we won't continue to ask this question. Why can't church be more? Why Shouldn't church be more than it is? Because it's going to be bigger than just Sunday morning. It's going to be bigger than just Wednesday night. It's going to be 24-7, 365. It's going to be in our world. We're going to be in the body of Christ interacting with each other on a regular basis. As often as we have opportunity. That's what the church looks like in Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> Next week, we're going to talk about, well, how do we accomplish? what is If Jesus built a church that was geared around a committed group of people, how do we go about that? And we're going to see the answer in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus gave his apostles <coughs> the recipe for growing the church. And it may be somewhat similar, but it's also going to be different than what we might think today if we're a business church. It's going to be more geared on plugging people in to a body where they serve others, than catering to them as individuals. Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. For more information about our church family, please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page. We hope to see you soon. Till then, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you have a good day.